0: morning, everyone. Good morning, good morning, and welcome back. Welcome back to another Porsche Cooled Podcast, uh, the podcast where we chat about, talk about all things Porsche. My name is Michael Barth. We have another owner's stories today. Uh, if you're not familiar with the podcast, uh, the Porsche Cooled Podcast is on every uh, Tuesdays and Fridays. On Fridays, it's me and Steve, my mate from Sydney, Australia, talking about Porsches Uh, I'm based in Bahrain. Uh, I'm currently in London. I'm recording this in London today. It's a Saturday morning. Uh, What I'm trying to do at the moment is get you guys, um, I'm recording these owner stories a little bit in advance than what I normally do. Um, Just so we have enough over the Christmas period and in January, uh, the next couple of weeks obviously are going to get busy for everyone, uh, me included. But I just didn't want to stop the um, owner stories because I know you guys are really Really enjoying it and really uh, connecting with the people on the owner's stories. I know a lot of you have even started talking to other people on the owner's stories, which is great. Uh, following their Instagrams, following their YouTube's, um, and that's what it's all about. It's just about sharing the passion that that, that we all have. Um, so today I have a really, uh, I have another good one coming up for you guys, and it's it's going to be a good one as well because it's um it's. Something different, something that we haven't had on the podcast before, which is a classic. I'm just going to say it's a classic Porsche. It's an air-cooled Porsche. And I'm going to let – I've got Mark coming up uh, very shortly. I'm going to connect with him on Zoom in a few minutes. Uh, Mark is from uh, Western Australia in Australia, of course, uh, from Perth. And Mark is – He's heavily heavily involved in Porsche. He's heavily involved in in sharing his passion for Porsche. I'm going to let Mark tell you all about it. Um, so let's just get the Zoom going and and uh, start chatting with Mark about uh, Porsche. So this is Porsche Cooled Owner Stories. Uh, it's Owner Stories 12, and that's it. So let's get into it. Okay, welcome back, everyone. Welcome back to the Porsche Cool Podcast. Uh, like I said, this is Owner Stories again today, uh, and we have a good one. Uh, we have um, Mark with us on Zoom and Mark is from uh, Perth all the way in sunny Australia. How are you, Mark?
1: Yeah, very well, thank you. Thanks for having me on today.
0: No, it's great. I was uh, Mark actually um, reached out to me, I think about a week ago, wasn't it? About a week ago, showing me his uh, his car and and his, he's also got a YouTube channel and his YouTube channel. Uh, and I was interested to have you on because I haven't had anyone on, and people will know what we're going to talk about because it's in the title, but I haven't had anyone on Uh, that's um, had a 356 and I'm pretty keen on the classics uh, uh, because I'm doing my search for the for the powerful 912 that people tell me to keep away from.
1: Well it's something I definitely know something about because it does share a very common uh, drivetrain platform with the car I own.
0: Yeah true true so let's get into that shortly but just just for the listeners um, I always like to start this this Porsche Cool podcast owner stories with the background and, and you know it's about everyone's story. It's about how everyone has a different story to tell. Uh, That's what this episode is all about. Um, When did you, let's just get straight into it. And when did you, what are your first memories of, um, of Porsche, of, of noticing Porsche or, you know, wanting a Porsche? Was it when you were a kid or when, or did it happen later in life?
1: Sure, sure. Look, look, this is Probably I'm a notorious talker, so this whole podcast is going to go longer than you hoped at one hour. I'm sure, right? But but I'll uh, I'll sort of I'll I'll paint the picture for you. I grew up in Geelong, Victoria, which, for viewers or listeners outside of Australia, is sort of like the uh, automotive manufacturing hub of Australia. And both my parents worked for Ford Motor Company. My father actually worked for the uh, section called Product Engineering which developed all the GT products, which would mean something to Australian people okay. with the touring cars and all that sort of thing. Anyway, he worked on weekends fixing cars, that sort of thing, and we had a lot of Aussie muscle cars coming through the uh, our garage on the weekends, so, you know, GT Falcons, Holden Monaros, all that sort of stuff, you know, again, what the Aussie listeners will be very familiar with. And one day what was very likely the only 356 to exist in Geelong, I'm guessing, at the time was a – silver 356 turned up because it was backfiring and I know why now but obviously as an adult <laughs> and an owner of the car right well it wouldn't yeah. have caused a problem but back then I was like nine years old so without giving too much away it would have been in the uh, late 70s early 80s and um, this car turns up and it in all honesty, it looked like a spaceship. The thing was tiny compared to the Aussie cars and it was all smooth and aerodynamic. Well, what I now know to be aerodynamic, but didn't, yeah. didn't back then because my only exposure to cars really was again, these big Aussie muscle cars, and Amer- which were styled on American cars. And, um, you know, so we got in the car and we took it around the block and I just couldn't believe he wasn't going to slow down to go around a corner. Again, right. this is, you know, Aussie cars made to go in straight lines.
0: Yeah. Yeah. True. You know? true.
1: So, yeah. So, um, and it was just such an eye-opening experience and look you know knowing 356 as i as i do today i then i now understand why i could see the road pass underneath my feet because of the rust in the floors right but the <laughs> um, but ov- overall the experience was just like revolutionary almost for me you know i didn't even understand that cars existed like this
0: so that was and it and
1: the noise it made yeah that's and it was just like an epiphany moment really and look and i guess it it really went away for a little bit. I sort of forgot about the car a bit, and then when we were about 12 or 13, I was about 12 or 13 years old. We did the Great Victorian Dream, went to Queensland for the holiday. You know what I mean? And um, on the way up, we pulled in. Look to look back, it was probably somewhere on the New South Wales Central Coast,
0: right. you know,
1: a service station, and in pulled a three-five-six.
0: Wow. That's, a rare, that's going, a rare sight on the Central Coast. Yeah, I can tell you. <laughs> it would have been. And, and
1: again, this is back in the 80s, you know. Yeah. And I'm, I'm looking at this thing going, this is unbelievable. This is like, this is exactly like that other car. And as soon as I went up to the car, because, you know, the old man was filling up the XD Falcon full of fuel because it needed a lot of it. Yeah. And this uh, 356 was uh, getting fueled up. And I walked up to it and just the smell, you know, the whole oil getting cooked on the exhaust because it had a leak and the moisture because, you know, of. You know, it would have had a water leak. It's somewhere inside the car for the carpet smelling mildewy. All that sort of thing come back to me. I thought, my goodness, I forgot all about this. I've got to have one. And, look, in all honesty, it took me a long time, and I did own another Porsche before that, before I got my 356. But that was really the moment that really set it in stone. I was a little bit older, and I sort of stuck with me, you know.
0: All right. So you were around 14 or 13 when you last saw one. When you have that memory. Mm So then, what was when? How long did it take you to buy your first Porsche? What what was the first one you had then? Because I didn't realize you had one before.
1: Yeah, sure. I had a nine fourteen because I'm a big fan of the four cylinder. Oh, okay.
0: Um,
1: Porsches, and yeah, you know, I bought that. I think in 1991, and it was a um, American import. I actually went, looked at it, bought it for the all of my savings of about two thousand three hundred dollars at the time. Yep. And the guy this is
0: when they. this is when they were affordable
1: in in all reality it was probably worthless to look back on and um (laughs) but it was black and it had like a mini light replica wheels on it it was a a pretty good car to look back on like i actually drove it from perth to sydney and back again okay you know during my ownership of it yeah and um but when i went and looked at the car much to my horror, knowing what I know now, the guy says to me, um, look, how much money did you bring? This is in California, where I bought the car from, okay? right. and imported it to Australia. Uh, the guy says to me, um, how much money did you bring? I said, look, I bought the money for the car, thinking he's going to try and negotiate higher because I'd got on a plane and traveled all the way to the USA to buy this car. And uh, I said, why is that? He says, oh, I've got another car at the back you know, that I want about $20,000, $22,000 for. I said, okay, let's go and have a look at it anyway. And there was a nine oh four GTS Carrera there oh, that he
0: really? wanted for twenty two
1: thousand wow. dollars. You know, so wow. And to look back on now, that's the great yeah, that's, car regret yeah. that I've ever had. You know,
0: <laughs> yeah, I can't even imagine how much they are now. But uh, that oh, would have been, been that would have been the buy of the century.
1: Yeah, and look, you know what? I probably would have sold it for forty and felt like a millionaire.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so you flew you flew to the US to get this nine nine fourteen. Yeah,
1: yeah. And look then I think the return flight was about $900. So in the scheme of it all, it was, you know, it's all relative to today, of course, you know. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. Uh, So you you had the 914. How long did you own that for, Mark?
1: I actually owned that for probably uh, up until about, I would have been about 2001, 2002. It sat on blocks for a while because I actually um, dropped a core plug doing about 80 mile an hour somewhere in the country and the motor ceased within about four seconds like a good air-cooled car does when it drops all its oil out and um i thought i'll fix that one day and never got around to it and a wrecker actually bought it off me for about six thousand dollars which is a lot more money than it owed me so i walked away from it
0: you know and so look look looking back on it looking back on it was it a good was it a good decision for a first porsche or not look
1: the chassis, look, knowing 914s as I do, and look, I would, I'm certainly no expert in the brand, but I am very familiar with four cylinder Porsches, and uh, I would say that that Type Four motor was a lot more capable um, than the, you know, being developed than the one I had. It was a fuel injected one. It, yeah, you know, it was it was a pretty good car, but it was underpowered for the chassis, and overall the driving dynamic was fantastic, but it really. I would have. I think I would have preferred a more powerful car at that time. You know,
0: at that yeah, time yeah. of my
1: life as well. You know, we're talking about a time when I'm in my early twenties here. So, in the scheme of things, so you, you know.
0: Bought, sorry. So you bought it in the in the nineties, was it around the nineties? Yes, that's right. Yeah. So the choices the choices at the time when you're thinking, okay, I want I want my first Porsche. Mm-hmm. You definitely wanted a nine fourteen, or yeah, did I didn't, it come I, didn't, down? I
1: did not want to buy a nine eleven. Right.
0: You didn't want to buy a nine eleven. I
1: didn't know, but it's, look, look. I'm not sure how well this <laughs> this this uh, thing's going to be edited that you're going to post, but I just the the stigma that went with 911 drivers back in the early 90s was dentist slash wanker. Yep. Okay, it's a whole yep. different. It's you know it was a car that was bought for its badge as opposed to for the uh, passion for the product,
0: which yeah, is that, it, that it reflects a bit more now. Feel, you know. Yeah, you're right. The general feel and, you know, maybe our listeners, because we have a lot of listeners from the US and and UK. I mean, in Australia, it was kind of more like that. I don't know whether it was like that in the US and the UK so much. Maybe it was. Um, it's like the stigma attached to BMW drivers. It's that sort of thing. Porsche's kind of lost it a bit, though, with the with the increase in people wanting air cools and, and you know, the passion behind the brand. It has actually changed. It's not like that now. You would agree, Mark? It's not the I would, same yeah, now. Like,
1: I, I would say that there's probably... There's more appreciation for the product being developed for the enthusiast as opposed to the badge.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You know, no, I agree.
1: Yeah. And, and whereas back then, I, you know, and this, it, it's just the perception in the market at the time. And also, the 911 was a lot further out of my budget than what the 914 was at that time of my life. And look, it, yeah, but I was in, saying, ask that. in saying that, I don't mm. actually, I don't own a 911 today, you know, and. Yep. Yeah, you know, I do. You know, in all reality, I will very likely buy one in the future. But at the, you know, I just don't. Yeah, back then that wasn't something that was really on my radar. And you know, it's just one of those. Back then, it was one of those cars, and a little bit like Ferraris slash Lambos are today, in that you can't just pull up out the front of a cafe and get out of it without saying, "Oh, look at that tool." Yeah. Do you, do you sort of get well, what depend- I mean when I say that?
0: Yeah, no, I understand. I understand. Um, and it's you know, it's. I mean, it's like Ferraris today. I mean, you get a lot of attention. You know, I was speaking to this the the, the owner stories that's coming up next Tuesday. The the guy has a the guy from New Zealand. I was talking to Paul. He has a, a Ferrari as well. You know, anybody has two Porsches. So it's a different way. I mean, I know Steve's uncle had a Ferrari, and he sold it, and he's just bought a nine nine one point two nine eleven because it is the attention you get in the Ferrari. Um, and I think that's why people are drawn to Porsches because people feel like they don't get as much attention sure. in a Porsche. Sure, You look, know, you get the attention from people that really know about the car and know about mm-hmm. the design and know about it and want to talk to you. But it feels like there's more appreciation on the Porsche side than there is, say, on Ferrari or or Lambos. So this is this is 1990, ish. 1990, yeah, about 91. Nine, nine. I think
1: it would have been to look back on. Yeah.
0: So you have the 914. Mm-hmm. So then you have a big break before you get an, before you get your next Porsche.
1: It was a big break, you know. I like. I bought the three five six in about two thousand and twelve, late two thousand twelve, early two thousand and thirteen. So I okay, a, so the
0: cars, yeah. the cars you owned during that period were sports cars or just no, average look, sort just just
1: cars? Uh, cars necessary for work. You know, cool like up. like okay. to give it to give you an idea, I had like a VN. Oh, sorry, no, a Holden SSU. I had a Ford Ute. I had a Volkswagen transporter van. These sorts of things, you know, like practical, practical cars, vehicles that were necessary to do my my day to day work. You know.
0: Yep. Yep. So you've had the 914. The passion for Porsche doesn't go away. You've still got that passion. It's still there. And then you're thinking, okay, so you. It gets to a point where you you recall that memory from a kid, that 356 in in that you had a drive-in, the 356 at the petrol station on the central coast, when does it? When do you seriously start thinking, um, okay, I'm, I'm going to start looking for a 356?
1: Look, I think, you know, to look back on it now, I would say it's really the evolution of what we know today as the ease of the internet. You know, because you're getting so much information thrown at you. Like you were talking yeah, about true. the era of like late 90s, early 2000s, where we could, um, you know, go on and look at things like bring a trailer. We could look at things like um, uh, car sales. These, look, Before that, you're going out and you're buying the local newspaper or you're buying, you're going and getting the, um, uh, what was it called back then, uh, the Trading Post um, yeah, true. You know, or the Sunday Times or whatever newspaper or, new print media product there was before and even then it was just a three-line ad which you'd make a phone call about you go and see but with the evolution of the internet it sort of brought so much to us you know and I've got to tell you right now I'm listening to myself sounding like I'm 100 years old okay so
0: it's no 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 you know, no no I'm,
1: but I that's know exactly really, what you're saying yeah but I mean, that's really what it was and it opened up so much knowledge and I can look at a picture and go no 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 yes investigate further click that sort of thing whereas up to then we never really had that and you know as a generation and you know i know you're not probably not too dissimilar in age from me where you've been through that period where we didn't have the options or we bought a magazine called unique cars in australia which yeah true go through and finally there's a porsche or finally there's another porsche you know after looking through all the american muscle cars so yeah getting that and now we're Mm, sorry, go on. Yeah, that really wet my appetite by getting that visibility through the internet that I could then go and get stuck into it and yes, yes, no, no, yes, yes, no, no, by clicking and dragging and doing all those sorts of things, which I'm very grateful for too, I've got to tell you.
0: Yeah, well, the thing about the internet is is that you actually learn along the way, don't you? You learn about these cars. I mean, I don't, you know, I'm not a 912 expert and, you know, I want to get a 912 and I've learned from them by just doing searches and, and sure. looking at the ads and speaking mm-hmm. to other 912 owners you know, a couple of people in the UK who I've been chatting to, you know, just to just to get that, that information that you need. But you're right, it's much easier now. Um, and I think that easier. really,
1: yeah, that amplified my um, motivation to, if I don't do this soon, I won't ever be able to do it. And sort of the bubble was getting big quickly with 356s back in the, uh, you know, late 2010s, early 20. 20- teens, if you know what I mean. So I had to, you know, I spent probably from about 2007 onwards, regularly looking, seeing what cars are available globally, because I was quite specific in what I actually wanted, you know?
0: Yeah, I remember, and this is probably in early mid-2000s, I think it was, 2006, 2005, there was a guy from Bondi in Sydney, who's actually a restaurateur in Sydney, who's quite a well-known one, who has a very cool restaurant in, in Bondi, who I know. And he got a 356 convertible and i remember at the time it was and i never went for a drive in it but i remember it was it wasn't an expensive car it really wasn't an expensive car this is probably around 2003 actually sure um and he used to drive it around beat up you know and it was the coolest looking car but it was still even then in that 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 year it was still very underrated wasn't it it didn't really people weren't really looking at 356s as, as much um obviously now like you said it's changed um, I always look at a site in the U.S. called European Collectibles uh, I know the, in yeah, California. Yeah,
1: I, know the, I know the guys. You know,
0: yeah. yeah, and the three five sixes they have that come up there. I mean, I look for the nine twelves, <laughs> but the three five sixes they have coming up there. Yeah, you know, you you can't get a three five six C for under what one hundred twenty thousand U.S. Yeah, um, and,
1: and look, if you're for, if
0: you're lucky, if yeah. you're lucky,
1: and for international listeners to this podcast to give you some perspective, we have this alarmingly painful thing called luxury car tax in Australia. So, to imp, as a guide to import a car from the US, the actual landed cost in Australia, loosely, is around double whatever the US price is. So, yeah, true. Yeah, so that what you know what Michael's talking about there is like nearly quarter of a million Australian dollars to get that car on the road to drive as a as a regular hobby car or daily driver so you know that's that's a lot of money to a lot of people
0: yeah i mean any car that's over i think it's 66000 so the listeners know anything over 66000 if you bring it in from the us you get where well, you get gst you don't get duty on cars over 30 years old but you get uh, luxury car tax like mark said so it really does add to the to the cost of your car so a car that's 120000 us is probably going to cost you close to 200000 us uh, 200000 yeah, probably, no, 120000 what's that? It's going to cost, like Mark said, it's going to cost you substantially more. Um, so you have to bear this in mind. So, you know, the, the the pick is, like I know when I'm looking for 912s, I'm always looking at ones that hit below the luxury car tax so I don't have to pay that extra bit if I bring it in. I think we've, we've jumped forward. Tell the listeners, Mark, about your car because um, we haven't actually introduced it properly. Oh, Everyone knows idea. you have a 356. So let's <laughs> tell the listeners about your car, um, the year, the colour, and how you came about finding it
1: sure so my car to get into the 356 ownership i own what is amongst 356 enthusiasts the least desirable model okay it's a 356b in the t5 body it's the first of like what we you know if you're not a 356 guy they all look the same but they they went through uh about five body iterations which were slightly changed i was very specific on this one because it was the first real modern change to 356s um it's a 1960 model okay so it's first of the b series cars and the t5 yep. is the body shape which is it's slightly aerodynamic it's got a um it still has a single grille on the back okay to on the engine cover to give you an idea and has a slight a slightly smaller rear window than what the later models do which are called the t6 bodies okay um it's ruby red it is a numbers matching car it has its original interior and it still has its original color the car my car was actually last repainted in the um late 80s around 1987 according to the documentation i have it's still a left-hand drive california delivered car um, which I have no intention of ever changing. So I do love ha- having a as ferry intended car in a yeah, left-hand I'm glad, mm-hmm. I'm glad to hear that.
0: I'm glad to hear that. I don't like the conversions.
1: Uh, look, there's, and look uh, there's a lot of cars came into Australia in the early 90s that were converted that are since because they're all due for restoration now if that cars of that age and era and what they were brought in for which is essentially for making money um are due for restoration and they're getting restor- restored they tend to be getting converted back to left-hand drive anyway right okay because that's the way they left the factory but um all that aside the my car is a a good driver it's not nothing not even remotely close to a concourse condition car but it's you know, and look, I'm very well aware of the faults in the car as an owner, as every owner is, is you only have to wash a car to know where your problems are. And yeah, um, yeah, and during my ownership, I've done, you know, the mechanical upgrades necessary to keep the car so that I can turn the key on the weekend, go for a drive, even if it's some weekends, it might only be for 10 minutes, but others, you know, we might go on a road trip, we might do a, you know, a, an event with other car enthusiasts, that sort of thing, because the car still draws a lot of crowds. And, you know, we have a a lot of cars and coffee style events here in Perth we've got good weather for it and you know I can be parked next to a modern McLaren or a Lamborghini and my car will always draw more attention than those cars you know.
0: Yeah and while we're talking about this uh, for the listeners just go and have a look Mark actually has a YouTube channel Uh, it's called Mark and Cars M-A-R-C and Cars Um, and Insta's the same right Mark Mark and Cars is the same for your Instagram? It is yes Um, So go and check that out while we're just talking now, if you want to have a look at it, there's a really good uh, playlist that Mark has on his YouTube channel, which is, I think it's titled My 356, has a few videos there about, um, you know, love and hate of the 356, the things he likes, etc., um, so check that out while we're talking and you can get a good idea. I mean, the car, I know you don't say it's concourse condition, but it, it looks pretty special. It really does look like a really... Yeah,
1: it's a presentable, there's no doubt it's a presentable car and it always looks pretty in photographs. Like, you know, you can hide a lot in it with a filter.
0: So you bought that car in Australia or you imported it from I, the US? No, I
1: bought it in Australia. I, I did have intent to buy it from the US, but it was bought before I had the opportunity because I was okay. very... I was very specific about having a ruby red car, and the reason for that is I'll be be straight up, I'm not a big fan of black cars, and I like the chrome on the 50s and 60s models cars, and the chrome pops better against the darker colours than it does the silvers, which a lot of people associate with 356s because the, you know, the Porsche factory racing colour of that era. Uh, So I I really like the ruby red, and I wanted a black interior for – because I know black interiors last longer and I was more likely to get an original interior. So, um, you know, finding a ruby red matching numbers, B, 356B, T5. I wanted a coupe. I didn't want a convertible, okay, Um, and a speedster was outside my budget as much as I love them. Yeah. But the, uh, you know, once that universe came into line and that car appeared, it was bought by actually another Australian guy in Brisbane, and it was he used the classic throttle shop in Sydney to import the car. You might be familiar oh, okay. with the with the company.
0: Yes, they do a lot yes, of classic
1: ma'am. Porsche work. And uh, he was yeah he was in Brisbane. He bought the car and they were kind enough to put me in contact with him. I said, look, if you ever want to get rid of it, give me a call. And as like all timing in life, within about. A day and a half after my daughter being born saying yeah i want to get rid of it if you're interested i'm going to put it on car sales in two days so, <laughs> always,
0: yeah, always said, a wrong time yeah always a wrong time
1: i said yeah look i'll be on a plane tonight so i did the overnight flight bought the car the next morning and flew back within three hours and was home wow. that evening, so how many you know?
0: years ago how many years ago was this
1: that was in uh 2012
0: 2012 so you have yep. had the car for eight years Mhm. Yep. Um. And you said classic throttle shop. So they imported it for the person in Queensland. Yeah. Or they... Yeah. I,
1: I, look, I don't know if they still do, but I know they were. They're, they're fairly well known for sort of getting. If you want to buy a car in the states, and you yeah. find a car you like, they will charge you a premium. They'll arrange everything. They'll get it registered, and do all the, any ADR work that may be necessary, such as new seatbelts in the car, that sort of thing, you know? And yeah. as, as I had a, a very newborn daughter, obviously I needed seatbelts and I needed a tether to put a baby seat in, et cetera, et cetera, you know?
0: Yep. So the car is in Australia. It's all been, it's all complianced. It's all ready to go pretty much though, right? Yes. Because mm-hmm. it is actually already been driven in Queensland. Yes. Um, what was it about the B that you wanted? What was the the thing about the B? You because I, I was always I'm never really clear and now I think you've cleared it up for me. The single grill and the double grill at the engine. I sure. was never really quite sure what model it was it changed on. So yeah, the 356B sure. yours that, has the single grill. That's right. But you the, were that, looking No, go on. Go on.
1: Um yes, yeah, so the look, you know, for uh, you know, People that don't actually know 356s, the really easy identifier for the body type is the number of grills, you know, because yep. it's, it's a very prominent thing to look at. Uh, the other thing is actually the size of the rear window. The window, rear window size changed significantly with what's called the T6 body, and that happened during the 356B, around 1962 there and about, right. a transition in that year, depending on if you bought an S or a non-S model car, because they tend to sort of use all the parts on the normal as opposed to the super. Um, And what that actually meant was, uh, so you've got that body shape continued until the completion of the 356 range with the SC back in 1965, the last of the cars were. So, um, yeah, the grills are the easiest way to pick. but So the first of the, the T5 body, which had a very short lifespan in the Porsche love keeping her body shape for 100 years, as you know, as an enthusiast. Yeah. Um, yeah, so it was only for a few years, and it was a first of, like, the aero shape. The bumpers were lifted slightly higher. The headlights are lifted slightly higher than the 356A and the pre-A. And the, the other thing, some technical differences, which seem very insignificant now compared to modern cars, are, Things like the uh, it's got a different gearbox and a different different right. shift mechanism, so the way the gear shifting works is a little bit different with the B compared to the A. And, and in all honesty, most people most people who do the work on to restore an A will do a lot of B upgrades under the skin or C upgrades okay. under the skin.
0: So it seems with the I mean I've got little knowledge of the three five six market, um, but it seems with the three five six market, the pre A's the ones that were made in um, in uh, Mund or whatever it is, Mund in Austria, right? The three five six pre A. Yeah, oh, that's actually that's,
1: the one in Gmunden is actually called just the three five six. The pre As were manufactured in Stuttgart.
0: Oh, they were done in Stuttgart, were they? Yeah,
1: the difference between a, a three five six then it, uh, is it's an all aluminium body. Okay. Yes. They were manufacturing Gmund by hand. There's about 51 of them, I think. I'm going off memory here, so you're testing my Porsche yep, knowledge yep, a bit. Yep. Um, then production moved in about 1950 to Stuttgart. Right. And then they started to make the cars out of steel and the bodies were manufactured by Reuter, which were literally across the road from the Porsche factory. Okay. Who
0: – So that was the pre-A, was it? The first one out yeah, of – Yeah, that's right. And. Of-
1: the really easy way Zulf-Halsen to tell the difference, yeah, is a, if it's a steel car, it's a pre A. If it's a, a aluminium car, it is a three five
0: six. Ah, oh, okay, okay. Okay, and yeah, so there's the B, there's a the C. So which is what is the most sought after in the three five six? Then, which is the one the collectors want? The pre A. Oh, look,
1: no, look, look. The pre A apart is, from look, the, apart yeah,
0: from the speedster, of course.
1: Yeah, yeah. Look, the when it comes to collectors. If you're a 356 guy, you will be very fussy about exactly what you want. If you're a Porsche enthusiast, you're very likely to buy a C because that's the end of the evolution of the product. And it's the pinnacle of the of development of that car. It's like buying the latest 911. Like, you know, if you want yeah. the best 911, regardless of your opinion, the 992 is probably the best evolution of that car, okay? Right. Now, um, the and the 356C, or SC is the case with the last of the cars, is the most sought after on that front. Yeah, It comes with disc brakes and, you know, higher power, all those, the little things, you know. But, um, yeah. but you know, A's are by far and away the most common cars for, um, for aspirational 356 owners because they've still got that lower front bumper there. A little more bathtub would be a good way for me to describe them. Okay. The pre A has the V shaped front window where it's just like a bent flat window, looks a bit like fighter jet. And they tend to be they're they're very valuable cars just because there's just not many of them left.
0: Yep. So your car, I mean Common thing with early Porsches, 356s, 912s, 911 is the rust issue. So because sure. your car had been your car came from the States, uh, it was obviously restored at some time. It looks like it has had some kind of restoration done in, yeah, look, in, it's in, not, in the US.
1: Look, it's had a it's had a um I would suggest it's had a you know, a cosmetic cleanup for sale at some point, in all reality. Look, I know that there's rust in my car, I know where the rust's you know points are very prone i've had a little bit of rust repaired in my car since i've had it okay you know at the bottom half of the doors very commonplace and the bottom of the front guards because there's nowhere for the water to go other than to sit there and rust away at your metal um yeah but that's no different to an early 911 either so the um you know the
0: yeah, yeah
1: as true. as as a result the car itself you know with uh the restoration part of it, I'll probably crack that nut open in about ten years. Cause the car's still quite presentable. It still drives nice. It's not like a Benz in half gun around corners or you gotta put your feet on the dash to open the doors or anything because my longitudinals are rusted through. But I do I'm conscious that I will at some point do okay. a full body restoration on that car.
0: Okay. So the, the 356, it comes from the factory, um, and I know it. You know, during this time, Porsche didn't offer many options. What sort of options were on your list from your car from the factory? It was a 1960 model. Um, mm-hmm. What What did it come with? And your car is, I just want to make the listeners know, your car is a matching numbers car, which is it, it quite is, important, yes. right? Matching mm-hmm. transmission, matching, all matching panel engine, All panels matching. are original
1: still, yes, because okay, in those perfect. early cars, every panel stamped with the last couple of digits of the uh uh, but a chassis number. Uh, yes. the options on my car, I'm gonna go off memory because I haven't got the uh, the documentation in front of me. I do have the documentation, it's just not with me right now. Uh, off memory, it came with um, continental tires. Okay, mm-hmm. uh, it came with a driver's side mirror on the door.
0: Yes, yes, very cool.
1: Yes, I, this oh, and I,
0: I, it came with seat belts. Mm. The seatbelts, and that's yep. it.
1: They're the three options that my car came with. There were other options. That's what mine came with.
0: Yeah. If you go to Mark's YouTube channel, like I said, that playlist where he's got my, my 356, he actually goes through the options and shows you the car. Um, I thought it was really nice about your car and when you opened up the um, frunk. Uh, it looks very clean. You know what I mean? And you've got that original toolkit, which is quite special.
1: That's actually a re- That's actually a reissue. Oh, is it? It is. Oh, okay. Yes. It's not the original toolkit that came with the car. It didn't come with a toolkit. I still got the original jack. I don't have the original toolkit.
0: Oh, okay. Because mm-hmm. you can find, you can search out those original toolkits on Bring a Trailer. They sometimes come up with for a crazy money, right? I, yeah, I then, see them come up every now yeah, and again.
1: There's a guy go- like if if you're a three five six nutcase like I am, you know the um if, and a member of the registry, which is actually the largest sports car club in the world, the three five six registry, the uh, yes. in the US. There's actually a guy in Germany who advertises regularly that he will do the due diligence and make sure you get the right year, uh, you know, uh, tool roll, and he'll find all the matching parts and stuff in it for you for a certain fee.
0: Wow, fantastic! Yeah. So when you bought the car, I want to go back to when you picked up the car. Sure. You drove the car back. You drove the car back, or you had it transferred? No, I had it back?
1: trucked.
0: You had it trucked back. Mm-hmm. So when it gets trucked back, it gets trucked back to your house yep. where you live at the time. First drive. How did it feel? What did you think about when you when you first got into it? I mean, did I, you drive it? Test, yeah, test I did test drive it, test in, drive it
1: when, in Brisbane. That's correct. Yeah, I did. And um, look, I had known expectations. I'll come back to it in this conversation if we have time. But have a quite a long history with classic sports cars in a previous job. But okay. I, I have very conscious uh, uh, experience with three five sixes. Like in my life, I've probably driven fifty of them. You know, so I know okay. I know a good one and a bad one, or a mediocre one. And the and when I drove it in Queensland, it was middle of the bell curve, for a three five six B. Okay. Okay, so, so you, that was adequate for me. So you know.
0: Yeah. That. So you've driven a lot. So you go to Queensland. So you you do the inspection on the car yourself. You I check did. it over, mm-hmm. and you know pretty much straight away that you know what you're up for and and how good or how bad it is. Like yeah, you said, look, it's in the yeah, middle. Yeah,
1: generally, yeah. I would say I was aware of. 95% of the problems that the car had.
0: All right. So what have you done? So the car, I mean, the 356B, is is it 60 horsepower? I'm, I'm going off memory here. Yes, I can't yep. remember. Uh, yeah, 60 that's, that's, horsepower, right? Correct, yep. Mm-hmm. Um, so they had 60, they had 90 horsepower, correct, with the SC, was it?
1: Uh, yes, yes, yes. our 90s. Yeah, I think it was like 95. It ended up at, at the end of the development. So in the B, you could get the... Normal, the super, and then the super ninety, and the super ninety had ninety horsepower in the bees.
0: Okay, so I listen, you know, listening to other podcasts that we do, you know, listening to Spikes Car Radio and sure. uh, reading things online. Will Hoyt Restor- restoration in the in LA, who yep. deals specifically with three five sixes. Then the you guru. got Rod Emery, who yeah, you got the guru, and then you got Rod Emery who does the outlaw versions of it, which you know cost you a fortune. Um, I think one just sold on Bring a Trailer for five hundred K, five hundred thousand US. One an early model that he did. So your car's got 60 horsepower. When you bought it, it had 60 horsepower. It hadn't been tweaked. It hadn't been fixed up in any way.
1: It was dead stock and I'd the motor, we've, look, I'll tell you now, we've, I've since um, overhauled the engine. I've done a full okay. engine engine overhaul on the car. But yep. um, when we cracked it open, it was the first time it's been cracked open. Oh, okay. Okay, so the car, I did dyno it before I did the engine um, overhaul. It had 37 horsepower at the back wheel.
0: 37 horsepower, wow. Mm-hmm. Which From 60 new is, 60 yeah, new down to 37, which is yeah. probably about right after over, that oh, Yeah, over,
1: it's 50 years old, you know, and yeah. I've got to be honest with you, I'm it's pretty close to my age and I reckon I've only got about half of what I had when I started.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so even even that car though, if, if, if it's on the dyno at thirty seven mark, even yes. if it, if you get it up to sixty, it's a quite a noticeable difference with the lightweight nature of the car, right? Yes, it's mm-hmm. a very light car, yeah, so that eight, even that would be noticeable.
1: Yeah, it's eight hundred and sixty kilos.
0: Yeah, okay, so that car. that's yeah, that's very very light. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't know what the conversion is in pounds. I think you just double it to pounds, right? Um, so you you've only got thirty seven. <clears throat> It comes with 60. So what do you plan to do? You think, okay, how much power do I want in this car? What's the maximum I can put into this car without destroying the essence of it?
1: Sure. So look, there's a a couple of factors to take in consideration, okay? Porsche engines are expensive to get power out of. Volkswagen engines, which bolt straight into your transmission, are very cheap to get large amounts of horsepower out of. But like you said, the essence of the car and of which I'm very conscious of. Like I wanted to maintain my original engine and I, what, in, I didn't want to take it beyond the point of I'm going to one day put a rod through the side of my block and then I no longer have my matching numbers engine, okay?
0: Yeah, true. Yep.
1: Uh, I guess if there are enthusiasts out there that are listening, the driving dynamic and feel of a flat four motor, even a flat six motor, you know that this motor has evolved from what was originally, you know, the um, the Volkswagen flat four motor that was, you know, invented by the Porsche family. It's, you know, it's a refined version, but it is still essentially that same feel where the torque under your power curve is really what gives you your driving experience and dynamic. So the torque okay. of that small motor whilst only punching out 37 horsepower was still, a fun car to drive but the limitations are certainly within the car were the brakes it's got four-wheel drum brakes which when adjusted well do work quite well so i was very conscious of addressing everything else before i got to the engine so i replaced my shock absorbers made sure all my uh torsion bar bushings were replaced and lubricated and all my king pins and link pins and the steering were done. And I actually put a front disc brake conversion kit on my car.
0: Oh, okay. So is that is that good advice to people who are thinking, they're listening to this and they're going, you know, I want a classic 911 or a classic 356, a classic Porsche for my first for my first Porsche. Sure. When you eventually find one, and I want to get into that, but when you find one, is that the first thing you look at? You look at the tires, you look at the suspension, you look at the brakes, and then you you would say go to the engine? before you think about tweaking the engine to either give it more power or maybe just to make it more reliable, you know, I think it's it's a balance, isn't it, between it power and reliability? It, it, it definitely so, is,
1: yeah. And, um, yeah. yeah, look, I did – regardless if you're buying a, a, a new Porsche Classic or if, even if you're going to go out and buy yourself a new 991.2 GT3, if you're going to punch another 60 horsepower in it, you want to have a good look at your suspension. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like you just. Yeah. Otherwise, you're lining yourself up for a disaster. And even if it's not even a Porsche, if you're going to go out and buy any car, if you're not going to, if you're going to pump your power before you pump your uh, handling of the car, you just, you know, I just, it's an unnecessary risk for what will be a large capital investment.
0: So, you, you bump the power of the car. You have you have the the Porsche guys in Perth, as I call them, the people, the specialists. The ones you want to go to, you find out there's someone in Perth nearby, and you you take it to them. After how many years to get the engine tweaked?
1: Uh, six. So I got it done about nearly two years ago now.
0: Two years ago, mm-hmm. and that's quite a cost, isn't it, to get this power? Like you said, it's not cheap to get power out of a Porsche engine.
1: Yeah, extra and power. Yes, like to I'll, to give you a really basic example, I you know one of the changes I made in the engine were the Conrods, which you know have a very low limitation on the factory conrods but adequate for the 60 horsepower that the car came with but with what i had in mind it meant that um i needed non-porsche conrods so i went to Carrillo, which is a very renowned yeah. company who make high performance conrods for all sorts of cars including a lot of porsche models but to give you some insight the currillo conrods for a 356 are around 1200 us okay okay so I buy Carrillo Conrods for a Type 4 Volkswagen engine, they cost me about $320 US.
0: Okay, so you get okay. the Volkswagen part.
1: Yeah. <laughs> okay, so now the yep. Carr- the Volkswagen ones <clears throat> don't fit in a 356. There's very few parts that you can interchange between a Volkswagen engine and a 356 engine. Oh, okay. So you do have to buy the $1,200 Carrillo rods to go in your oh, right. 356. So the um, – Yes, like there's very few parts that are interchangeable. Sadly, yeah. Otherwise, it would. I thought, Look, otherwise the cars there'd be a lot more of them on the road. You know, now today yeah, true, because true. they would have been cheaper to repair when they were worth nothing. You know.
0: So what? What is the power now? What have you up the power to after that? After that, uh, one hundred and
1: seventeen. One
0: hundred and seventeen. So that's fast. Um, oh, look, from it's, hearing it's, other people it's, talk it's about three five. Mm. Sorry, go on.
1: It's, nine, it's 912 fast. You know, a, a well-developed 912 punches out around 100 to 110 horsepower on the wheels to give you some perspective, okay? Um. The early 911s put out, what, 130? If I, if I'm going off memory here. I can't remember exactly. Yeah, I think so. Yes, I think the
0: 69, the 69 912s have the most power, I think, from memory. I sure. Think they're the ones that have the most power, the, the mm-hmm. long wheelbase one.
1: Yep. So, um, yeah, so if you early 911, it's early 911 power and it's a lighter car. Okay. So, car.
0: so, so, so it, it it you've got the speed now. Um, everyone says that the three five six is really well engineered, as in for handling that it has got for the for the time that it was built, it actually handles very very well. Um, did it did it impact the handling from going from this 37, power, 37 horsepower at the dyno to now what you what you're using the power no, you're using? It,
1: it didn't because I did all the hard work prior to the motor getting done. You know, like the car was underpowered for the chassis once I got to the point of doing the motor.
0: Okay, okay. And what else have you – what are the other modifications you've done to the car? Because I noticed the wheels look slightly different. They look yeah, okay. like a bigger or a deeper, deeper dish or something. Yeah, they're, wheel. they're
1: big wheels, right? I, I have three sets of wheels, which I change depending on my mood on any given day, I guess would be the best way to describe it. You know, it's a pretty easy task to do, Like, like a – Early 911, you only have to jack it up one point, lift both sides of the Eurocar uh, up to change the wheels. So, the wheels that you'd probably seen most commonly on my Instagram and in my YouTube channel are a set of 17 inch smoothies. They're 17 by eight, so they're big wheels for a 356. In all honesty, they're over rubbered and they're heavy, so my unsprung weight is less than ideal, but they wheels I'll use for. Boulevard cruising would be the best way to describe. If I want to do right. spirited driving, I'll put the original 15-inch wheels on that are only four and a half, you know, 15-inch diameter and four and a half wide, and they are only got 165 width on them, whereas the big eight-inch wheels have got 195 width on them, you know?
0: So they fit okay, the bigger wheel, do they? They actually fit some, without any modification?
1: They, oh, no, those wheels, oh, those wheels were custom-made to fit in my car.
0: Oh, they're custom-made, yes. right. Mm-hmm. Because um, – I'm a big fan of the steel wheels just with the bolt showing. Sure. I, I don't know whether that's because it's a trend, but it, it always looks really good on the nine yeah, mildly and, outlaw-y, uh, I can't, <laughs> yeah,
1: remember where, can't remember where the hubcaps went. Yeah, 912s,
0: nine twelve, three five six, like yeah, you lost sure. the hubcap on the highway or something.
1: Yeah, I get it. And like the 904s, 906s of that era, they all look like that too, which is a nice look in my opinion too.
0: Yeah, for the 912, I think they always look good when it's got the, the steel mm-hmm. wheels. All right, so what any other modifications? That was That's pretty much it since you've owned the car?
1: Yeah, look, and just some really fundamental, basic stuff. Like, since my daughter got out of her little seat in the back, yes, the back is a little seat anyway, right? I've seen I've put a four point harness in there for her because it only had a lap belt in the back, which was the legal requirement. So I put a so she's got an over the shoulder type thing, so she's as safe in there as what a three five six will be if there's ever a you know the worst should happen. The um you gotta remember the A pillars of a three five six are about the size of two fingers width, right? So the uh, yeah. they're not exactly yeah. the car yeah. you wanna be in if something in doesn't go well. And the end and the fuel tank is literally over your thighs because it's behind the front dash. So, yes. you know, overall if you know but that that aside, the car's what else have I done to the car? Um I've had the gearbox rebuilt as well. Okay. So, yeah, so um, you know four
0: speed, right? Four speed It is three five six. Yep. Mm. So I love saying this, is, ready? Is,
1: same as a nine thirty.
0: Same as a nine thirty, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what um so is there anything else? Is there anything else on the list? I mean, you everyone has a list of things they want to do to their car. Is there something else on the list that you're thinking mm, I want to do some more or I'm gonna leave it for now?
1: I think look, once the body gets done, I'll I'll be very um stringent about making my car. Very close to original from the skin down, if you get my drift. So, you know, yep. look, I've, I've got a set of speedster seats that I've had re that are sitting in the garage that I haven't fitted to the car yet. Okay. In all honesty, it's because the coupe seats are so nice and comfortable, and you don't need a lot more support than what my car's got the power to give you anyway. And in reality, you know, so the car, the speedster seats will be an aesthetic. And, you know, I'm getting the age where myself my wife aren't as, um, thin in the hips as we used to be so the speeds of seats are pretty snug at the best of times yeah Yeah. (laughs) they're a nice looking seat but i was thinking about every time i
0: every time i see them they really are a a slim seat aren't they they're very you know Mm. they're very small but they're a beautiful shape they're really a beautiful shape and
1: and look to sit in and you know i've been fortunate enough to have the comparable experience the um carbon buckets that you can option in your gt3 or your uh, gt4 they're about the same width as that to sit in
0: oh are they yeah, they okay. are
1: mm-hmm. to give you a perspective you know, if, you've them, had, if you've ever had that opportunity. So, you know, they fit some people better than others, and the curve of the back is actually a little more comfortable than those carbon buckets.
0: Okay. So, for the listeners, you know, the, <clears throat> just say, you know, people who listen to the podcast, some people haven't got a Porsche yet, some people have just bought their first Porsche. Normally, it's a <clears throat> seems to be a trend with the 996 and I guess that's just due to the price at the moment. People are buying 996s and a lot of people that want to be on the owners' stories actually have 996s. Like sure. I had three people contact me this week, all of them with 996s. For the people out there who are looking for a 356 as their first Porsche, would you recommend it if they had the funds?
1: Yeah, sure. Yeah, the, the caveat I would put on there is find someone who knows about them before you go and spend your money on one. do your
0: research get on the forums and and really yeah but you need someone
1: who can put hands on and say i know what's wrong with three five sixes here's the here's what i would look at and it just comes with experiences you know you can look at not to bag the forums but the forums are typically contributed by some very certain personality types as you'd know from reading them and uh you know, the the level of expertise, like the real experts of three, five, sixes globally, there's probably about 10 who are the go-to guys, none of them ever contribute to forums. You know, yeah, so, true, that's, true. so I always keep that in mind. So just find someone who's got one, who's owned a couple, of, owned one or owned many or very, like I'm one of the few three, five, six guys I know who only own one. You know, a lot of people tend to collect them because, you know, they're very, you know, the car's got a lot of character, it's got a lot of personality, it appeals to both men and women. So there's a lot of female owners of 356s as well, which is you know, less common with the 911 cars. Um, but yeah. I, w- I would find someone who has owned one and preferably owned one for some time and has come across the problems that occur. To them.
0: You seem to be someone who, who plays it quite safe when you buy a car because when you bought the 914, you went to the States and you picked it up, right? And that's yep. probably due to the time. And like mm-hmm. you said, there's not online, you can't search it. Sure. When you buy the three five six, you go up to Queensland, you pick up the car, you check it out, all right? Mm-hmm. With your experience, which yep. I want to get into a bit too. So now today, because and because in the last twelve months with COVID etc., sure. you know people are more comfortable on buying online. They're more comfortable no to be buying from yep. Bring a Trailer or P Car Market etc. Mm-hmm. Would you buy a car completely sight unseen? Would you do that?
1: If you're using the term, if you're buying your next sure. night,
0: you're buying a next Porsche. Would you sure. do it?
1: The I probably would do – I would probably require a PPI for my own cl- peace of mind. Okay. Okay? The uh, – and it wouldn't be from a Porsche centre, my PPI. Yes. The – I and I've got nothing against Porsche centres. Don't get me wrong. However, I, I'm – and my PPI wouldn't be to negotiate my price. It would be more to be aware of what is ahead of me. What the cost will be. Yeah, that's right. I know. I'm very like, – we all know if something's too good to be true, it usually is. Okay. Yes, true. So, you know, whenever there's a real bargain to be had, you get your PPI. You know, you go get a PPI, and you'll find out why it's a bargain. It's, it's. There's no, you know, there's no crystal. If it's, if it's a lotto win, it's a lotto win. Don't get me wrong. It's, if you're that lucky to fall into one, however, I'm sure yep. they're very rare and far apart. But the, with regards to getting that inspection, it's more a case for me to find out, uh, is the job that needs doing. The stuff I can manage a myself, b through my existing network, or c through someone I don't even know, so I'm paying market costs.
0: Okay, good. Point. You know,
1: so for me, so for the, that's for me when I think of cars sight unseen, so to speak. Like I'm a I'm a daily 911 hunter. Okay, so I will look at in Australia Gumtree. Yes. I look in the Middle East on Dubizzle every day. I look in. Yes. Um, I look at uh, car sales in Australia, and I use Auto yep. Tempest, and all of those platforms. If I'm not looking at it every day, to be every two days, just to see what yep. falls into the market, to get a feel for what's going on, etc., etc., and you know, and taking that into consideration. And look, right now in my life, I'm not going to buy a 911 because I'm not in that position. But I will buy one at some point in the future, and I will very unlikely go and look at it in person unless it's in WA in the future.
0: Okay, so if if you bought another. Is the 356 a keeper, though? That's not yeah. something you're going to get rid of, right? You, yeah, you... I'll,
1: let, I'll, let my, I'll let my daughter deal with
0: it. Yeah, yeah. I think that's good advice with the PPI, though. And I think when you come back to saying you're saying don't get it done through Porsche, uh, Porsche dealers. I think the main thing with the PPI, and I am not, I don't want to say this in a bad way because I know someone had this done who I've, who I've spoken to before. If you're getting a PPI, I wouldn't get the PPI done by the people that are selling the car. If the owner gets his car serviced through a certain dealer, or specialist i would probably pick a different dealer or specialist to do that ppi now sure. and i know steve thinks the same way that steve does a podcast with me but that's just me personally because i i, I don't know i just want to be safe in it in, in in every way and i think sometimes you have to be careful with ppis as well sure. I'll, con- I'll, I'll
1: just i'll just uh, give you my two cents on that opinion if I'm requiring a PPI from a region I don't have a contact in that I don't have a relationship with that a someone that can do it for me yep. and the person who did the servicing on the car isn't a Porsche center I wouldn't I wouldn't put that same value on that what you've just said like I'm because if I don't have a relationship, I don't have that one-on-one conversation with the guy or girl who's doing the PPI. To because I know they've done PPIs in the past, or whatever. I'm trusting their reputation as a business. I, I would put my trust in if they've serviced a car to do the PPI because they actually they have tripped across the problems, in my opinion. Okay. Okay. So, so if they've got a long history. Yeah. So and like no one knows a car better than someone someone's worked on it multiple times.
0: Yeah. And yeah.
1: there and look, I, I'm a business owner myself, and I would never compromise the reputation of my business for one customer.
0: Right. right.
1: That's not good business, you know?
0: Yep. Okay. So um when you, I just want to go back quickly to the the, the picking up the car in Queensland, the 356. Yeah, sure. You said you've driven a lot of 356s, so you mm-hmm. actually had the experience. So you yes. worked in classic cars before, so that's what gave you the advantage, or you've serviced cars before, or?
1: Yeah, look, I used to work for VDO Instruments, who make all the gauges and dashes in
0: most oh, yes. okay.
1: german cars, and a lot of other cars around Australia and the USA. And during my time of employment there, which was about six years or so, uh, we did a lot of, oh, when I say we, the team that, you know, I was a workshop manager there, uh, we did a lot of left to right and drive conversions of cars back in the early 90s in WA. A lot came in like oh, we would have converted maybe 25, three, back in the early 90s, Right. okay? Um, but all sorts of cars. I'm talking Maseratis, Ferraris, Jaguars, anything and everything that came in. So we got, to, I got to work on a very broad range of cars, so I got to experience a lot of cars. Not so much mechanically, more electrically was where my experience lay. However, the workshop that I worked for, uh, working for VDO, we also worked on lots of other aspects of vehicles. We had you know, welders that worked there, we had mechanics that worked there because quite often you get cars in that just needed to be going so that you could do the job you needed doing. And as, as a result, I got exposed to a lot of cars. And, you know, it was, it was a fantastic experience to look back on. I didn't really appreciate it that much at the time. But, you know, I got to experience and drive lots of 356s, 911s, 308s, um, you know, 328 Ferraris. Oh, you name it, I had a go. You know, I pretty much got to okay. play with, you know. Mm-hmm.
0: So that helped let's one thing we haven't touched on reliability of the 356 um obviously you've had the engine you know tweaked and, and sure. it's probably perfect but reliability you think the reliability the running costs etc are similar to a same vintage 911 to a 65 70 or you think it's more expensive to to upkeep the, the 356?
1: No, the, I, 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 I believe the 911 would be slightly more expensive and it's because the, the uh, disposable, you know, consumable products that are associated with those two motors are, you know, there's just more of them on a 911. Okay. The, the problems that exist with those early cars are these things called carburetors. Okay. <laughs> there yeah. Are,
0: n- yeah, I've read about that.
1: Yeah. So, look, it's – and, you know, old cars and hot weather, Perth, Okay, yes. and to a degree, Queensland and Sydney as well. Okay, uh, the and definitely in Adelaide we have the problems where the fuel just dries up. You know, you park the car five minutes after it's been hot, come back to start again. There's no fuel in the carburetor, so you've got to go through that drama of getting the fuel into the things. And anyway, that's it's technique, it's understanding cars, but it's no different to how everybody drove cars in this era.
0: Okay, yes.
1: you know, up until realistically. The early 1980s, there were plenty of carbureted cars on the road still. Yeah, true. In fact, true. look, I'm sure a listener will correct me, but I even think the early Hyundai XLs had carburetors. Okay, so we are talking <laughs> early 1990s there. Okay, yeah, so yeah, yeah. in the scheme of things, it's it's not a it's by no means a death sentence. Now, the flat the boxer motors are notorious for the early carbureted cars for fouling plugs. Now, for right. If anyone's not unaware of what that means, it means, you know, there's too much oil in the that gets through into the um, yep. combustion chamber and the plug doesn't spark when it's required to. So your 911 know, runs on five or your 356 runs on three till there's enough mumbo in there to clean it out and then off it goes again. Okay. Then there's techniques and tactics of owning these cars and regular long term owners know that, you know, I only buy this brand of plug because right now with the fuel I use and the carburetor set up and the ignition set up I have is the least likely to foul those plugs, you know. So yep. this is a little bit of trial and error that, you know, that you work with your mechanic, so to speak, to have these problems solved. But overall, yeah, I reliability, noticed... I wouldn't – I trickle charge my car because I've got a six-volt car, right? Yeah. So, you know, <laughs> I, so I, I would never not park my car without the trickle charger on it because if I leave it for two weeks and not start it, I've got to bump start it, you know. It's a pain in the bottom, you know. Yeah, so.
0: yeah. No, the trickle charge is the way to go. Mm. So, with the carburetors, I notice when uh, you know when I'm looking at nine twelve, some people have got the original carbs, and sure. some people have changed it to Weber. And I notice yes. I, I think 356s are similar, right? So, sure. is that is that a common thing that people do? They change it to the Webers, or I know some people like to keep them original. And I know there's some place in the states which I can't think of the name now that people take their carburetors to, and there's very few places that know how to how to get them working sure. effectively.
1: I'll look, I'll, I'll, this, this is like um, the argument between BMW and Mercedes, okay, for oh, the okay. owners. Now, right. there are there's a school of thought that Porsche make everything perfect. Why would you ever change it? Yep. Okay. Now, 912s in particular, which essentially has a, another ev- mild evolution on what the 356SCs were, They came with Solex carburetors, okay? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, Solex carburetors are notorious for wearing out their main shafts, which means that they're no longer stable on either side so you don't get consistent idle and acceleration, et cetera, et cetera, okay? And Weber actually have bearings on those shafts, so there is a benefit of having Weber's. But Weber's also have their shortcomings as well, you know? Right. But look What In my advice to anyone who's thinking about changing carbs is the problem is very rarely your carbs if you've got a problem. Okay. okay, It's usually your ignition. And everyone blames the carbs because they're the the soft target. Even inexperienced 356 mechanics who if you are going to buy 912, you're going to have to find an experienced 356 mechanics to look after it. And if you are back in Sydney when this occurs, the guys at Auto House are very experienced with 356s. Okay. Yeah. The, um, you know, getting someone and whatever they're comfortable with working with the most, that would be my advice on what path to go down.
0: Okay. So you have someone that's really good in Perth though, that works on your car, yeah. you have good three, five, six specialists or not so yeah, many? Yeah, I've
1: got, oh, there's a couple of them actually. There's, um, actually there's, there's three really good three, five, six mechanics. The guy who overhauled my motor had overhauled four in the 12 months prior to that. Okay. okay. So, um, my regular mechanic, who I go and see, he actually was the workshop manager at Auto House for a number of years, and rest- was involved oh, okay. in the restoration of over 20 five sixes. So he's very familiar with them. Oh, for the discussion's sake, I have Weber's on my car, okay. Yep. And um, but I do know one of the main motivations today is because my regular mechanic is very comfortable with Weber's, and that's what he knows. So if he knows it, he is more likely to have a successful outcome with tuning the car and managing it.
0: So just for the listeners, uh, Mark's in, like I said, Mark is in Perth in Western Australia. It seems like there's a really good um, Porsche community where, around where you are. I mean, based on your YouTube channel, like I said, go and check out Mark's YouTube channel. It's called Mark and Cars. Give him a subscribe, give him a like, uh, and Mark and Cars on his Instagram. But there's quite a lot of passion there in Perth. So is there a strong 356 community? Is there a lot of 356 owners in Perth? Look, I think, I don't know how many there are
1: nationally, right? But we've got about, fifteen to eighteen in the metro area that are regularly driven. Okay. okay. But to give viewers a perspective, the whole of West Australia has a population of about two point two million, of which about two point one million live in Perth. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. it's a look in reality it's a fairly affluent state. Okay. So the um there are a lot of Porsches in general in Perth. You know, after yep. when you when you travel over east and you come back you think oh geez a lot of KNs, or there's a lot of mccann's or there's a lot of whatever it is you do see a lot of porsches here especially if you're you know because you if you're a porsche enthusiast you look out for porsches you know yes and um so there are a lot of porsches here and there's this probably three or four fairly prolific collectors of porsches okay so as you know yourself very few porsche enthusiasts are happy with one yeah Okay, yeah, so you get the
0: bug, don't you? You mm-hmm. want another one, that's for sure. Yep. But you've got a great car, Mark. You really do. I mean it's a great it's a great Porsche. I mean, I don't know how many people are wanting to get a three five six as their first car, but you know, like I said, go and look at your they should go and look at your channel and, and look at the videos you've done. I think I'm the and youngest three five six owner I know. Yeah, I was going to say that normally 356 owners are are probably nearing what? I shouldn't say this, people are going to get upset with me. Um, They're in their 60s, I think, mid 60s, right?
1: Well, you just have to look at what, what cars were aspirational when people hit their license. And that's as a guide as gives you an idea on what cars people, you, you, an, an owner of the cars that are now expensive, doesn't it? You know, like it's early, interesting. It, early 9-11 owners are similar, you know?
0: Yeah, it's interesting that I was listening to, and I don't know whether you listened to it, I, I might have been on Matt Farris' podcast, and someone said that the cars from the 50s and 60s are like diving a little bit. You know what I mean? Because yep. all the people that wanted it to reuse that are getting, are getting old. You yes. know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And now it's the 80s and 90s of the cars that – I think it was Matt Farrow actually. 80s and 90s cars are what people are searching for because it's that age group when you can actually go mm-hmm. back to your childhood or whatever. Yep. You can afford it. You've got the money and, and sure. you want one of those cars. So it, it appears to be that that is it is definitely a trend.
1: And like we, all, we all reach a certain part of our life where we've achieved – a level of income or affluence that we can then buy what we want, for example, right? And that's, you know, and we tend to buy to what we can or what we can afford. So that yes. means that, you know, if the 356 was your poster car when you were 18, as a general rule, that means you were born in the, yeah. you know, what's that, yeah. early 50s or late 40s. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah which exactly. Which means
1: today, right, you are now 70, you know, so. Yeah. You know, so. so-
0: so you're either you're either reliving your your, your youth or mm-hmm. you've got so much money and you go out and buy a speedster that you know sure. it doesn't it's not about that you know what I mean yeah, that's So that's right. that's pretty mm-hmm. much it isn't it, it it's is, either yes. money or memories money or memories seems mm-hmm. to be how it always goes
1: but usually if you got the money you, t- you try and claim the best memories you can I think
0: yeah yeah true true I always like to ask this question and we're getting towards. Uh, end of the podcast because we always try to keep these around an hour we've gone a little bit longer but that's fine sure. i will ask you if there's anything else you want to talk about before that if someone's coming to perth yes and they want to go on a great driving road mm-hmm. or even australia you know something you've experienced in your 356 yeah where would you say for them to to go for a drive
1: look if they if they're going to stay in the perth metro area there's some uh, there's lots of lovely driving roads in the perth hills which is 40 minute, 35, 40 minute drive out of the city. And, um, you know, there's quite a famous road called O'Brien Road, which is sadly the road that Peter Brock had his fatal accident on, but it is an amazing road to drive nonetheless. Okay. Um, If they've got the time, there are plenty of fantastic driving roads in the southwest of Western Australia. I've, I've just last night finished editing a video. We went down there in the 356 for a weekend away down to Bridgetown and there's some amazing driving roads around there to we went down to catch up with another 356 owner that inherited his car from his dad who bought the car back in 1963.
0: So, oh, you know, really? it's,
1: wow. yeah, it's a, yeah, it's, it's a great story. And um, yeah, so we went down in there for that weekend and yeah, some amazing driving roads down there. So it depends on how long you're look, in. If you come to Western Australia, it is the world's most remote capital city. So everywhere's a long way away. You know what I mean? So yeah, you've yeah, got to be prepared yeah. for it when you come down here.
0: Good advice. Good advice. Okay, Mark, so before we leave, anything else you want to tell the listeners?
1: Oh, I, don't, no, I don't think so. I think, like, you know, if anyone is coming to Western Australia and you're a Porsche enthusiast and you want to have a beer or a coffee or go for a drive in a 356, don't hesitate and just touch and base with me. You can get, contact me through my Instagram or through my YouTube channel. I'm a relatively, you know, normal human, so there was no surprises <laughs> there. Okay. so. <laughs>
0: <laughs> All right, so I'll put I'll put the link to Mark's uh, Mark's YouTube channel in in the description of this podcast. Uh, so it's Mark and Cars, like I said, M A R C, and the Instagram's the same. So go over to both those channels and give him a follow and 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 check out his videos. And like I said, check out I reckon if you go to the YouTube channel, uh, go to the one where it's my three five six or that playlist that you have with about five or six videos. I think that's a good place to start. Um, and then Mark's got videos about. You know events that he's going to. He's he's interviewed other people with other nine elevens and 356s, Like he said, the guy that inherited the three five six. Um, so there's some really good videos there. So um, let's support. Uh, let's go and support Mark. Um, we all like to support other people in the Porsche community, and he really is um, sharing his passion with you guys. So well done, Mark. Great story. Thank you for um, thank you for being on the podcast. Thanks for having me. So I think we'll leave it there. And this is Porsche Gold Owner Stories. Like I said, this is number twelve. Thanks again, everyone, for the support. It's been absolutely fantastic over the last three weeks, and I know, I know, you guys. Have, I've been getting multitude of messages. I will respond to everyone, um, but the owner stories is really is really uh, resonating. I'll use that word that Steve uses, resonating with you guys. So we'll keep them up, and we'll keep them up through December and January. Anyway, thanks for listening to the Porsche Gold Podcast. Uh, bye for now.